0: Off-Day Podcast. Give me a chess ball. Boom. <laughs> With Andy Hart. That's
1: a really interesting point. This yeah,
0: microphone week? put up a little less fight than the one last night. <laughs> no, I think I said that, Andy. And Ryan Hannibal. Well, what's your name again? <laughs> Hannibal, 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 Hannibal. Mr. He's commer on Com. Episode 3,
1: Off-Day Podcast.
0: Andy Hart, welcome. What's going on, Ryan? Off weekend that we're coming off of for the Patriots. Saturday and Sunday off, traveling, going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What is this? Club Med, as some people call it? BBCC.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, let's get the uh, stuff out of the way, the the housekeeping items. Lord Hobo, thank you. Um, John Anderson uh, had a lot of Lord Hobo stuff last Monday night when we recorded our last podcast when we were at Gillette Stadium. He was home enjoying, you know, I think, what do you have? The, the Boom Sauce?
0: Boom Sauce must be nice, right? We're slaving away producing content written and audio and actually video too we had a little video of the uh, podcast meanwhile uh, the man behind the uh, the board is enjoying uh, libations but that's okay we can carry everything we're strong enough we got we got shoulders that you can put to earth on like Randy Moss would say
1: I know you're not big on the uh, Twitter stuff and you know the battles we have here but it's sort of embarrassing that our Twitter following just isn't there we need, we need more followers
0: okay we need more followers let's beg a little bit but as I've said in the past and we'll continue to say no one gives a rat's ass about our Twitter account. They care about the podcast. If it's a good podcast, they'll listen.
1: All right, that's your, your take? Just we deliver good content that people will come?
0: Yes. If you serve them, it's like baseball, Ray. If you build it, they'll come. If you build a good podcast, they're going to come and they'll follow the handle afterwards.
1: The handle is off day pod on Twitter, so please follow Also subscribe on iTunes, off day podcast. You can find that W E I podcast page. That'd be great. Leave reviews, all that good stuff.
0: Yes, and do it because it pleases our bosses, it pleases our producer, and if they're happy it makes our lives a little easier.
1: All right. Let's get into some real football stuff. Big thank God. Big topic. Tom Brady's contract extension. It yes. was a he basically got an 8 million dollar raise this year going from 15 million to 23 million and then he's now the sixth highest paid player in the NFL for 2019. Yes, he got a two-year extension goes through 2021, but also those last two years are void years. Basically, the two sides can get out of it without any real issue. So I think, you know, we talked about this before. The the big thing is that the Patriots give themselves more cap space for this year and Brady gets more money which everybody knows he probably deserves.
0: Yeah, this is sort of a in some ways it took longer but sort of a typical Brady Patriots contract where it's not as big as it could have been, it's not a wow, you know, long-term or big money deal, but Brady gets more money, the Patriots get some cap space, they have flexibility moving forward. In a lot of ways, it's similar to the if it plays out over the next 3 years, it's it's similar to if he played out this year and then was franchised twice yep. at 34 million and then whatever would be after that, 38 million, 125% of 34 million. So, you know, the void years, they're going to have to revisit this, or they can revisit this. I mean, I guess technically speaking it could play out over the next two years. But um, to me the most interesting aspect of this is uh, Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, wrote a column off this contract and sort of buried the lead, as we say, in the business a couple different times referenced the fact that maybe Brady wasn't going to play for the $15 million or $14 million salary for this year. And now that he has this new contract, he's, quote, in the fold for joint practices over the next couple weeks with Detroit and Tennessee, which to me, if you say he's in the fold after the contract, there's an indication or an implication that maybe he was not going to be in the fold. So, you know, maybe this was a little more contentious, at least on the Brady side, whatever, you know, whatever Tom Curran's hearing um, than we thought. And that comes on the heels of, you, you know, you and I were there where he says, you know, what do you guys think? you think I deserve a, a, a contract extension? Can you guys talk to Mr. Kraft? A very strange press conference a, a week ago. So this is interesting. I mean, it, it, it all ended up where we thought it would be. Tom Brady's the Patriots quarterback. He's going to play the season. Everybody's, I guess, somewhat happy. But behind the scenes, it sounds like it wasn't, you know, the uh, the easy journey to this point that it's been in past contracts.
1: So you're reading into what Brady said last week that maybe there was some, you know, contentious stuff behind the scenes that it wasn't really going his way because you're you're right. It was sort of strange the way that he talked about it. And the other thing that I came back to last week was when he was asked about it in June, he said I don't, I don't talk about my contract. It sort of laughed it off, but yet last week he seemed to be willing to at least engage in that conversation. So Yeah, maybe, no question. So and maybe, there were key did phrases.
0: Yep. There were key phrases in there that um, you know, let's hope we keep it going about the relationship between him and the Kraft family and the, and the Patriots and sort of a we'll see approach, which left the door open just maybe a little crack um, for, for something that we didn't think could happen. The possibility that maybe he's not happy, maybe he'd want to move on. I never really, um, you know, I joked about it on our airwaves that he could be a free agent next year and maybe he'd go somewhere else and swap places with Garoppolo. I never really thought that was a consideration, but there's little brush fires here with Brady's comments, his willingness to talk about it. And again, when has he ever asked the media to, you know, promote him, to promote his worthiness for a contract with ownership or fan base or anything like that? It's, it just felt a little weird when he had his press conference, and now it feels a little weird reading these, these things that Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, is writing Um, And, you know, Tom's a reporter. So I assume if he writes something, it's not, you know, just coming out of his butt that Mm -hmm. he has somebody talking to him, a source. And whether that's a reliable source or a strong source, I don't know. But I just think the whole thing is interesting that we got to a point we thought we'd get to. But I think the road to this point was was bumpier than maybe we would have expected
1: down the road looking ahead to next off season at this time and even the year after that i still think brady holds all the leverage just because they don't have a backup in place like sure jared siddims looked decent as a rookie but do we really think he's ready to start next season probably not so you know it's going to come back to the same thing we had this year they just don't have anybody to replace him so basically he can you know ask for whatever he wants money wise and the patriots have no choice but to give it to him
0: but in a way, I think we're also back to where we expected in that there's really no big deal. The salary cap is going to go up $10 million, right? It goes up $10 million or so every year. So, you know, his his cap number, if it's $30 million next year, yeah, and so what? Yeah. If he's worth it, you pay him. You know, if he's coming off a year where, you know, it's funny, I think the numbers come in, he's now the sixth highest paid quarterback, well... He was the sixth best player in the NFL, if you believe that. NFL Network survey or some of these rankings. So, you know, you're paying him good money, and he's a good player. And if he stays a good player, you're going to be willing to continue to pay him good to very good money. So I I don't – he has leverage because he's Tom freaking Brady. And he's never really chosen – you know how they say, if you have the hammer, you use it. I don't know that he's ever used the hammer. And I don't know that I would expect him to use the hammer moving forward because – the guy he 'd be hammering would he hammer Bill Belichick? Maybe if it were a different scenario and it was just Bill Belichick, maybe he'd use that hammer. Mm. But with the Robert Kraft side and the Kraft family, I just I don't envision Brady ever truly using that hammer um, to get what he wants. He has the leverage he can do what he wants. I don't think he's going anywhere, but I think I, I think it will always be a workable relationship, even if it's a little bumpy to get to the end point. I think this is another contract where Neither side really got everything they wanted or really pushed the issue. And in the end, you have the same alliance you've had for two decades getting ready to, you know, embark on another season.
1: One thing as we're sort of going through this, and maybe some of this stuff comes out in the next coming days or weeks, or whatever, how this got done, but I'm just sort of thinking here where Robert Kraft wasn't at the Hall of Fame ceremony Saturday night. Maybe he and Tom Brady were working on a contract. We always heard these stories about how Brady's contract always gets done, you know, just working with Robert. And so maybe maybe this got done Saturday night. Maybe Tom and Robert sat down somewhere in Foxborough and hash out this contract. And maybe that's why he wasn't at the Pro Football Hall of Fame for Ty
0: Law's induction. It's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, I hadn't really thought of that. Um, I, I, did I just did as we notice, were talking. Yeah, I did obviously notice the absence, um, but I hadn't really thought of that. Um, and then you find out the deal does get done. I did want to point out that. Um, I think we were right all along. They did clearly didn't have to wait for any specific date in time. No, no August sixth
1: um, deadline or whatever everybody was saying.
0: Yeah, uh, they reached this deal before that deadline that everyone was reporting. Uh, other than us, I don't believe that was ever an issue. Um, sounds to me like the issue was the pending season, and you know again go back to Tom Curran that the pressure was. Brady wasn't happy. Maybe Brady was thinking of not, I don't know, practicing or not playing, whatever, whatever you read into Tom uh Tom Curran's column. Uh, I think that was the pressure more than any date. It, w- it was to get this done and get moving forward because this team has a lot of other issues. And you, you talk about the cap space that was created, $5 million. Where are they going to use that? You know, can they use that? Can they put it to good use? Um, you and I have sort of talked about and joked and, I think maybe good use of that would be uh, the prorated portion of Rob Gronkowski's uh, contract when he returns.
1: That's your use take, that not mine.
0: Uh, it's a great take, too. It's, it's not even a hot take. I think nope. it's a great take. Um, you sure, know, it, c-
1: it could happen. I just don't think that Rob Gronkowski has any plans to come back and play this season.
0: Well, you're wrong. I'm right. All
1: right. Well, we'll, we'll have to re- revisit <laughs> this conversation in October when, when the discussions really you know kick off. Um, ramp up. Ramp up, yes. The. Vroom, vroom. Um, the other news, so to speak, I guess, this weekend was they signed wide receiver Cameron Meredith, placed him on PUP. Don't really think we can really expect much of him, especially for a week one, just because of his injury history. He's still battling a knee injury that he seems to have had for, for multiple years now. But one when, when healthy, he's a productive player. Do you think this was just a case of them seeing the talent that he had and him being available for basically for free? And if he works out, he works out. If he doesn't, he doesn't.
0: Yeah, roll the dice. Uh, we've seen the, the wide receiver position for uh, a little over a week in training camp, and there's been ups and downs. You know, individual players I think have had ups and downs. Guys like Nikhil Harry. Um, you know, you certainly look at a guy like Maurice Harris, who the first few days flashed and then kind of quieted down a little bit. Um, we haven't really seen Demarius Thomas. You know, reports out of Detroit are that he's looking more active and, and maybe could be getting closer to, to doing something on the practice field. He's still on PUP. Uh, Dontrell Inman, real slow start, then had one decent day of practice. So if you look at that group as a whole, Jacoby Myers coming on as a as an undrafted rookie, your guy Ryan Davis.
1: Not anymore. I'm off that train. Like, oh, okay, was, you're off was, Ryan was, Davis. Yeah, it was a quick exit. I'm on the Jacoby oh. Myers trade, train.
0: Okay, as you should have been all along, like I have been. So. It was just one the, week. The sooner you learn to just follow my instincts, we'll be better off as a podcast. But anyway, um, yeah, the wide receiver position, it, it, you know, I, I, I've said this before. Any receiver that has NFL talent, I would kick the tires on. And I think that's what Cameron Meredith is. That's a guy that caught 66 passes a couple of years ago. Bad knee injury, misses 17, only played in like six games last year in 18, landed on IR again, wasn't really productive, but... You know, see what he has. And it may just be a case of Malcolm Mitchell where, you know, the, the talent is there to be an NFL contributor, but, you know, the knee just isn't healthy enough, isn't able to get him on the field. But at this point, I think you're throwing things against the wall and hoping you can come away with four or five guys as a receiving core come September that, that are good enough for Tom Brady.
1: Another receiver that just can't seem to go away. And I I just don't understand why this is like a daily conversation. Josh Gordon, everybody, you know, asking for updates from Belichick, the NFL. Like, nothing has changed. And to me, it's just really frustrating because of everything that he's gone through and everybody's just basically like, you know, hoping and begging that he's allowed to come back. Like what, what's changed for Josh Gordon to all of a sudden come back? And I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of irritated by how this is always a daily story. You know, why isn't Josh Gordon on the Patriots roster?
0: Well, obviously out of Canton this weekend from Howard Balzer um, was that Gordon has indeed applied for reinstatement. Um, what I would say is changed. Isn't necessarily a Josh Gordon thing I don't think he's conquered his demons, quote unquote, over the last six or eight months. I don't think you can bring him in and say, OK, he no longer has any chemical issues in mm-hmm. terms of alcohol or drugs. I think what you look at is the way the league is treating these issues and the way really society is treating these issues is changing. And it's no longer three strikes, you're out and you're, you know, death penalties type things in terms of employment or you know, your career or what you're seen as it's, you know, this guy has a sickness. It's an illness. He deserves multiple chances. You know, we need to work with him and try to be productive, moving his, his career forward. And quite frankly, just his life. And, you know, I have no idea whether Josh Gordon is better off in football or out of football, Josh Gordon, the person, I don't know if, you know, football adds structure that even though it hasn't worked a number of years, going back to Cleveland, obviously, and then going back to college and high school. It hasn't worked, but where would he be without the occasional structure of football? Would he be worse off? Would he be in a darker place? I don't know. And, you know, that's something we may or may not find out, but he's applied for reinstatement. He signed his restricted free agent tender earlier this offseason, and then from a Patriots perspective, I'll say they need Josh Gordon. You know, I think he dramatically alters the depth chart at wide receiver because... He still has talent. We saw it last year. He's not what Josh Gordon once was, but he still has talent. He can still help this team, and he immediately becomes your number one receiver, basically. He and Julian Edelman, however you want to look at it, with a slot guy and an outside guy. And he certainly would take a lot of pressure off Nikhil Harry and ha- as his development and put a lot of pressure on defenses to just at least consider him as a as a dangerous threat on the outside. So I can understand why fans are sort of lusting after Josh Gordon and why media... People want updates and continue to talk about it because, quite frankly, with as as questionable a depth chart as they have, he would come right in and and be a key factor for this team. I just think that's the reality.
1: I agree completely with you from the off-field stuff and you know how football could benefit him and you know how the league's trending towards these issues and, and you know having more you know leeway, I guess, for you know from this compared to other things. But from a Patriots perspective and a football perspective it sort of shows where they are at wide receiver, that they're depending on a guy that you can't even count on if he gets back to the roster to be there the whole season. It just shows how desperate they are at that position and how sort of poorly they approach this offseason at the position and what they're left with right now. And so to me, it's just, it's not a good sign that, you know, we're at, you know, August, whatever, and we're hoping that Josh Gordon gets reinstated and finishes out the year, which we don't, we don't even know is possible as we saw last year. It's just, to me, it just shows that they don't have the bodies at the position, and now we're left with people doing what we did last year, scrambling for, for help at the position, and then ended up by trading for Josh Gordon.
0: Yeah, you used the right word, desperation. I mean, it was desperation when they traded for him last year, and I think it's desperation that they need him now, that he would come right in. And you know, I, I don't know that that's actually good for the relationship between Josh Gordon and the team, the fact that he would come in knowing, to some degree, he's a smart guy, he can look around and say, I'm the best receiver on this team. They need me. And I don't know if that's, that's really good for him, and it's really not the Patriot way. You know, over the years when they bring guys in, it's always been, oh, they hold all the cards, they can walk away from this at any point. I don't know that they could walk away from Josh Gordon if they get him back because they don't have a lot of other options. You know, maybe Nikhil Harry, you know, develops more over the coming month, and maybe Nikhil Harry by midseason is going to look like an NFL-caliber receiver. And you get Edelman back and he's off of NFI and maybe one of these young guys like Jacoby Myers does develop, but those are a lot of ifs and maybes. Right now, Josh Gordon walks into that receiver room and he's the go-to guy. Another
1: positional battle or, you know, Topic of conversations: Left tackle Isaiah Wynn still not out there in full and eleven on eleven work, so it doesn't seem like he's going to play in this first preseason game on Thursday. He's progressing slowly. Talked last week, seemed pretty optimistic that he'll be back doing you know full contact eleven on eleven work soon. But where are you at this position at left tackle? Do you see? Are you confident that Isaiah Wynn will be ready to go for week one, or are we at a case now where they're going to have to move some pieces around or or hope that the skipper, Dan Skipper, the weatherman, can help out at left tackle?
0: Yeah, I've eliminated the weatherman. Um, I just don't see Dan Skipper as a legitimate option to open the season at left tackle. You know, I've joked about this. He's the rare case of he's a turnstile and a speed bump all at once. People go around him and they go over him. And he has the look. Looks like you know Cedric Lang, same thing. Big, tall, long, athletic types, um, but I just haven't seen the production and the, you know, the confidence to put him out there. Um, and then you go into, is Wynn going to be ready, even if he can get on the field at any point? Is he going to be ready to play 65 snaps plus? We said the same thing
1: back-end? last year, though, with Trent Brown. We were like, oh, they're going to need to have some rotation, and that never happened in that first
0: game. So. Well, except the difference is Trent Brown was an NFL tackle. Correct. In San Francisco, they considered him you know, the best pass-protecting tackle in football. It was on the right side, but it was a conditioning question. It wasn't, can he do the job? You know, There's a conditioning question for Isaiah Wynn as he works back. There's an injury question. There's a mobility question. And then there's the old question of, is he a left tackle in the National Football League? Because as confident as Scar is and tells us, oh, we've had short arms before. Matt Light has short arms. Joe Thomas had short arms. You can be a great tackle with short arms we don't know if Isaiah Wynn can play left tackle in the National Football League on a week-to-week basis and protect a 42-year-old quarterback's blind side. So I think there are a lot more questions now about Isaiah Wynn than there ever were about Trent Brown. Um, what, what's and you're your right, fa- that was a question.
1: What's your fallback op- option? What's option two at left tackle to start the year?
0: I, I think it has to be Joe Tooney, but I don't love it just because then that makes... He's a question at left tackle. Even though he was an all-ACC left tackle at NC State, he's been... A left guard his entire NFL career. And then you have a question at left guard, which has been a very sure position throughout Tooney's tenure. And is it Ted Karras? You know, is it, I, I would think Ted Karras would be the first guy up to get that opportunity. Probably,
1: or James Ferentz.
0: Yeah, I don't love the James Ferentz idea. I just no? don't see him as an NFL every-down player. And you're talking about having to go out there series after series, not fill in for a series while a guy gets retaped. You're talking about going out there series after series, and that would concern me because I think, I think David Andrews is an undersized center, mm-hmm. and you have an undersized center who's good, and then you put what I would think is an undersized, underpowered guard in James Ferenc and questions at left tackle. I just think you're creating a lot more questions on a line that theoretically should be the strength of the team. They have four guys coming back, um, you know, some of them have played at you know sort of a borderline Pro Bowl level at various times over the year. Marcus Cannon, Shaq Mason, you know, David Andrews is well thought of, Joe Tooney well thought of. But if you move Tooney to left tackle, bring in Karras or for Feren- I-, I think you add s- you know, multiple question marks to the line, and I don't think that's what Dante Scarnecki is looking for. And quite frankly, I think that's why you've seen Joe Tooney's reps at left tackle disappear over the last, whatever it was, four training camp practices we yeah, saw. Yeah,
1: after that off day on Tuesday, it seemed like they had a shift in mind where we haven't seen Tooney there. So whether it's, say, they're comfortable with, with slotting him over or they just don't think that's in the cards, I think it's one of the two because Tooney's work at left tackle has really diminished the last
0: couple of days. Or if you want to be extra positive, it's, you know, the timeline for win, whatever yeah. they think it's on. They, they, they believe he's going to be ready, and there's no need to get these extra reps for Tooney because right. Wynn's going to settle into that position, which, to me, that's still the dream scenario. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Wynn lines up against the Steelers, and like Trent Brown, you just go, oh, wow, yep, he's a left tackle. He's mm-hmm. a very good left tackle. And you just forget all about that there was ever questions in August.
1: Let's go to the other side of the ball. The defense has dominated training camp, but as we've talked about before on this podcast, is they're not exactly going up against a very good offense as it looks right now. Tom Brady doesn't have Julian Edelman, doesn't have Rob Gronkowski anymore. There aren't any really big names, you know, catching passes from him. The number one wide receiver has really been Philip Dorsett, and everybody knows he's not a number one receiver. The running backs really haven't done much. Brandon Bolden's been the MVP of training camp, and that's never a good sign when you're a special <laughs> te- when you're a special teams player is your MVP so far. Um, so, what are your thoughts on the defense? Do you think this is a year, and, and we're seeing the early signs of one of the better defenses, you know, in the Bill Belichick era? Because they certainly seem to have the talent and the names to be it.
0: Yeah, they they have been impressive this summer. There's no way to discount that. But as you reference, the competition level that's questioned and. I also think people are now looking at okay they're really good in August they're dominating early in camp. Oh, last time we saw them in the Super Bowl they were holding the Rams to three points and Sean McVay and all those things. It was also a defense that was on its heels in the AFC title game in Kansas City and you know I've said In the before, second half of- in the, second, in the half. second half, yeah. Well, guess what? That's a half. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not a dominant defense if you're getting pushed all over the field. And a lot of people believe they had no chance of stopping Patrick Mahomes. I'm just looking the at the
1: positive. Up. What they have in the first half, that they dominated the first half.
0: Okay, we'll go with dominated. Dominating halves is now good enough to be a defense that's going to carry a team, uh, apparently. But I'm just a skeptic. You know, I, I think you have pieces that are really good. I think Stefan Gilmore is a really good cornerback. Yep. I think he's a number one cornerback. He has settled in nicely. Assuming you play mostly man defense, because I don't think he's a great zone corner. Which they, even they, what he did, in they the Super
1: seem War. to realize that he's better suited in man
0: right and i think jc jackson is too so i think they're going to be a man coverage team more often than not you have great depth in the secondary in terms of you know third fourth cornerbacks jonathan jones vying for a roster spot is a competitive nfl cornerback um you look at safety and they have the three guys they've always had now you add terrence brooks to the mix looks like he's got an opportunity to have a role on defense so i think that back end is really good and i think linebacker has a chance to be really good my one question there is is what dante hightower is because i thought during the regular season a year ago um dante hightower looked like he sort of monitored himself and took it easy and then in the postseason you got the really good dante hightower again um i don't think you can afford for him to sort of just brother-in-law through the season uh with the hopes of getting to january and then flicking the switch as you know Kyrie irving would sort of suggest so i i would be concerned about that but they have better depth up front at linebacker and, and I think Michael Bennett, you know, you and I have disagreed on this. I think he's a really nice replacement for Trey Flowers, who's going to have a really he, good year. He
1: doesn't look like it in training camp. To me, he looks like a guy that is too busy. You know, he doesn't seem to be have that work ethic that you'd like to see from a veteran. we have seen him, you know, taking time to tie his shoes, some extra time to get his ankles taped. Doesn't really seem to be a full engaged into the program yet. Yeah, it's training camp. He's been in the league a long time. It, it's not their favorite time of year, but I, I just don't. The early signs that i've seen haven't really given me any reason to change my take at the beginning that we're not going to get a great 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 year from Michael
0: Bennett. I really wish I had a uh, box that I could drop in my own drops here because I would go right to Allen Iverson I'm talking about practice I'm talking about practice, not a game you're talking about practice on a training camp field and you're already questioning the work ethic and what you're going to get out of michael bennett i think it's I think it's too early for that. Um, you know I know we arrived late at camp and you know, they had a personal issue to deal with, and, and I'm not sure what that was. And I've seen the same things you have in terms of, you know, retaping his ankles seemingly every day in the middle of practice, and it takes a while. Um, but I just think he still has talent left in the tank. And you know, I don't think I don't think Corey Dillon was the best worker when he was in New England. I don't think Randy Moss was the best worker when he was in New England. They've brought in veteran guys before who've been really productive, and I'm not saying that. You know, Dylan went out and broke the franchise rushing record. Moss went out and broke the NFL touchdown record. I'm not saying Bennett is going to go out and break the sack record, but I think he's going to go out and give you a legitimate replication of what Trey Flowers was, a versatile defensive edge player who will give you six or eight sacks and really help you be a good defense. And I, I'm still upbeat on that, but um, to get back to the, the bigger topic here, I don't know that this defense is ready to be dominant, and this defense is ready to be sort of the face or the identity of the Patriots right now. Until I learn otherwise, I'm still going to assume Tom Brady's going to have to score 25 or 30 points a game. He's not going to win, you know, 17, 13 every week, that he is going to have to put up points. Um, because I just I need the defense to prove it to me, and we haven't well, even touched on you're going to be waiting. You're
1: going to be waiting a long time for that because looking at the schedule early on in the season, they just don't play any talented offenses. Really, they play a lot of the games against the AFC. I don't know. I
0: think Pittsburgh has a receiver, a running okay. back, and a quarterback oh, okay. that can produce.
1: All right, that's week one. But then you got Miami, you got Buffalo, and you have the Jets back to back games. Not in that order, but you play those those teams next. Then you got the Redskins coming up in early October. The schedule does a lot of favors for the Patriots early in the season. Season. And so if you, you're good, yeah, but you you said that you haven't seen. If Sam
0: Darnold is a good young cornerback, so if the Patriots
1: go out and, and allow Levy. and allow 14 points, you know, to those defenses, to those offenses over the first five weeks, are you still going to be ready to call that a dominant defense? Because like we've no. talked, right? So that's
0: my or point. What about if the flip is true? What if Sam Darnold comes out and throws for you know twenty eight points and is throwing the ball over the field? Le'Veon Bell is making the linebackers look slow and old.
1: Then it's not. Then it's not a good defense. But what I'm saying is that they can go out and allow those points, and we still won't know how good the defense is because of the competition.
0: Well, they're never going to be dominant, in my opinion. I don't think they. I, I think it's very hard to be a dominant defense in the NFL anymore. I just don't think that even exists. But the question is, can they carry more of the load? Can they be a bigger shareholder in week to week? Victories, and I don't even know that they're at that level yet. And you know, I, we haven't even touched on the coaching, you know, where it's mm-hmm. been a complete overhaul of the defensive staff with everybody leaving Gerard Mayo looking like he's going to be the play caller. Um, that's that's a massive change, you know, that's not quite as simple as promoting Matt Patricia or promi- promoting Brian Flores. That's a guy coming from NBC podcasts in Boston. <laughs> And now all of a sudden he's calling your plays. And you don't, I like that. You, you
1: don't think Phil Perry and, and Tom Karn prepared them well for this job?
0: No, I don't think they, they did, other than maybe the conference calls he might have to do <laughs> down the road as a defensive coordinator type and play caller. Um, you know, I think Mayo's going to be a good coach. I think he's a really smart guy. I think he has this is going to sound stupid it. I think he has something about him a charisma, an intelligence, a personality. I think everybody likes him, respects him. I think he's going to be a good coach. That doesn't mean he's going to be a great coach the first year. And you may need – it's sort of like Nikhil Harry. You're throwing Nikhil Harry to the Wolves on offense. You're sort of throwing Gerard Mayo to the Wolves on defense, and we'll see if he's good enough.
1: Very negative
0: today, Andy, very negative. I don't think it's negativity. It's called objectivity. Yeah. It's called pointing out the facts. Right. The truth is never mean. Get used to hearing that.
1: Uh, let's talk about another thing that could come up in the next couple of weeks as the roster cuts down, to take place, and teams you know look to finalize their rosters. Traits. Trades are always a possibility. We only saw one last year from the Patriots at cut-down day that week, but the year prior we saw four. So the Patriots are always seemingly working the phones around this time of year. Do you see, I mean, I, I definitely see a scenario of them making at least one or two trades because they just have a surplus of players at a few positions and not enough talent at others, so it only makes sense to make a trade or two. Are you along the same lines?
0: No question. I think this is going to be very active as we come down the stretch in August and into September because you have a roster to me that's sort of out of balance at some positions and really, really lacking at others. We've already talked about it. Certainly tight end, wide receiver, and left tackle are all potential positions of need. Even if you add a left tackle that becomes your swing tackle. Right. Yeah, your swing tackle, you know, spot starter, whatever you want to call it. Adrian
1: Waddle type, who I think was underrated here.
0: Right. If so if you find somebody like that but you know a receiver that you think can compete or is better than what you have tight end and then you look at I would argue cornerback yep linebacker yep and maybe even running back are positions of you have a bunch of bodies you have a bunch of good players safety as well uh, I
1: think you can throw in there
0: safety yeah I I don't know I don't know where the depth there is just because I know Duran Harmon is a guy that some people are trying to talk themselves into good be a surprise cut because Terrence Brooks is taking all these reps. I, I don't see it. Um, right. You're not going to trade McCordy You're not going to trade No, Scott. no,
1: no, no. I'm saying like maybe Obi um And Ter- I don't
0: know what he'd get you at this point. Whereas I think at cornerback, Jonathan Jones yep. has proven himself a good player. Yep. And Duke Dawson is young enough where if you wanted to trade him, he's a second-round pick a year ago. Some team that liked him in the draft might say, heck, yeah, I'll take him. Um, you know, at linebacker, I'd say a Landon Roberts, mm-hmm. the number of games he's seen. You know, this is a guy that's, what, started 30-something games over the last three years, been in Super Bowls, been in playoffs. I, Here's I don't one. Think he's,
1: Here's one. Do you think a team would be interested in Brian Hoyer?
0: No. I don't think Brian Hoyer would draw interest from virtually anyone other than maybe, you know, I posed the Lions. Um, don't have a great backup quarterback situation. Um, that's why I've even talked about you can cut Brian Hoyer and just tell him you'll sign him when you need him if something bad happens. Don't Don't go too far. Um, I think Brian Hoyer is one of those journeymen. When you start going through teams for a second time, that's when the journey of journeymen starts to come to an end. And, you know, it's no disrespect. He's really carved a nice career for himself. But in this day and age, I just can't see anyone talking themselves into Brian Hoyer and paying him and certainly not trading for him. Um, so, I mean, maybe. I've been surprised at things in the past. But if I saw a trade happening where a player was leaving New England, I would say cornerback. Linebacker and running back would maybe an outside shot at at defensive line where I don't know uh, Keontae Davis or yep. Derek Rivers Trent or one Harris. of these one of these extra defensive linemen edge players could go out of town. Um, those would be the positions I think Belichick could deal from you know a position of power as he looks to you know, supplement, complement some of his other talent at the, the weaker positions.
1: Looking ahead to the end of this week, first preseason game is Thursday, but I think a word of caution should be don't go into this game expecting to see a lot of, you know, Tom Brady, um, Sony Michelle, uh, Joe Tooney, Shaq Mason, Stephon Gilmore. Not going to be a game for that. They're going to get most of their work done in the joint practices and, and you know, working on situational football there. So a word of warning, you know, don't go into that game with high expectations. What will you be looking for in that game Thursday night?
0: In the game, probably absolutely nothing. Not Um, some
1: Jared Stidham?
0: Little bits and pieces. You know, I'm always a believer, anytime, I'm like Belichick. Anytime you You have an opportunity, yes, a lot like Belichick. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think it's because I covered him for 20 years and his theories and philosophies and things have been beaten into my head. But anytime these players step on the field, it's important to them. It's an opportunity to, to show you don't stink if anything else, right? You know, to show you belong in these NFL circles, even if it's just in the 90-man roster NFL circles, if you're sort of that borderline practice squad player camp body, prove you can compete. Um, But I think you nailed it. I think the actual practice action this week, the joint practice action, is where you're looking to really see some improvement or some validation of what you think, okay, Jacoby Myers, you're going against other corners, new looks, new defenses. Continue to show that you're an NFL competitor. Continue to show that you're going to take hurry-up reps with Tom Brady, and you deserve those reps. And on the flip side, Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, yeah, you guys have been damn impressive covering Braxton Berrios and Ryan Davis. Now cover Danny Amendola. Now deal with Matthew Stafford's arm and make sure you're – you know, tight windows don't become completions instead of incompletions where Brian Hoyer might be throwing it. So, I think defensively, the opportunity to prove themselves, to prove us that you know what we've seen isn't just because they're playing a bad offense. That you know, they no, they're going to be a really good competitive NFL defense. I think that'd be first and foremost. And then some of the young players just start stacking your opportunities up. I'd like to see your guy, Damian Harris. My um, guy, yep. deuce- Yep, do something this week in joint practices, and maybe he gets some chances in the preseason game. And we know running backs is one thing that sometimes pops. And when you finally get into that, you know, live, string it together, yep. this is a drive, eight-play drive, you've got four carries, five carries, what would you do with them? This is live. What, yep. what did you do with it? Um, so the running backs, most importantly, Harris, I would like to see. Um, and then, you know, one minor thing that isn't so minor, the kicking game, where I think there's wide-open return rolls – both yep. that punt and kick returner. And we got to start to see Jake Bailey. And is Jake Bailey a legitimate candidate to use that big leg and unseat Ryan Allen? Because, you know, we saw it the other day, Friday, on the practice field. During um, group work, teamwork, he was inconsistent. So was Ryan Allen. Right. Uh, and then after practice, when it was just Allen and Bailey working to the side, Bailey was back booming every single attempt. Well, you can't be like that. You need to be consistent when there's, uh, you know, guys around you, a rush, protection. Let's see him prove that he's an NFL punter in a, in a real game setting, assuming he gets that chance.
1: Before we go, I have to pay our respects to longtime NFL writer Don Banks, worked for Sports Illustrated for a long time, other outlets as well, was with Patriots.com for the last two years before he took a job covering the Raiders in the NFL in Vegas for when they got there sadly passed away in his sleep Saturday night after the Hall of Fame ceremony. I know, Andy, you worked with him for a little bit at Patriots.com. What, what were your memories of him and, and just working with him on you know a weekly basis?
0: Uh, great guy. Um, and I, I'm not one that, you know, when, when people pass away, I think everybody forgets the bad about people and just it goes to Twitter and social media, and this guy's a great guy, that guy's a great guy. Don Banks was a great guy. Um, I would challenge anyone to find somebody that didn't like Don Banks Um, You know, Bill Belichick respected him. Gil Brandt, just the names around NFL circles respected him. But more importantly, you know who liked and respected him? Interns, young people, young writers that he came across. He was just a genuinely good guy who would talk to anybody, help anybody, did not have... You know, I worked at SI, air about him. Um, Just a a genuine good guy. And this sucks. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. This one... This one struck a nerve with me. I, I got closer with him over the last six months of his time with Patriots.com at the Super Bowl, then we went to the owners' meetings, having dinners and this is a guy who came up through the newspaper business, started as I think delivering newspapers, then doing agate and just working his way up, and then, you know, became Sports Illustrated. You know, was covering a was a beat writer covering the Vikings in ninety eight when Randy Moss had that great season and they probably should have gone to the Super Bowl has just seen so much and so young, you know, I think 56, mid fifties at the hall of fame game, covering it for his career was, you know, sort of going in a new direction, got a new job in Las Vegas. Um, you know, was going to be covering the Raiders in the NFL in Las Vegas and, you know, to go in his sleep at, at the hall of fame game, I guess in some ways is appropriate. And, and, you know, they always say that's the way you want to go, go in your sleep, but you don't want to go when you're 56. And, um just really sad for his family and and everybody around him but i will say if you're gonna go you know he went out with the world loving him and again i don't think you can find anybody with a bad word to say about don banks and just a really good guy really good writer really good reporter um who's as i said his career was taking off again and it's 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 just such a shame
1: thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family as well from everybody um that's it for this week we'll uh, be back at it next week wrapping up the first preseason game looking ahead to the second one which is also a joint practices in nashville i will be there for wednesday and thursday i believe they have their practices so we'll have a lot coming um where she'll be working this whole week blogs columns all that stuff wei.com andy and i will be grinding away
0: and please Help us out with our bosses. Go follow everything. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, wherever you get it. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all the other crap of social media. But just enjoy the podcast and follow.
1: Yes, and, and we want to encourage interaction. Any yes, questions? Please. Call us out. Yell I at guarantee us.
0: Yes. We just said multiple things that fans, listeners don't agree with, that are stupid, that people need to call us out on. Do it. Do it on social media. Do it via email. Do it however you want to do it, but we will respond to it next week. I'll call you dumb if I think you're dumb, or I'll say, you know what? That's a great point if I think it's a great point.
1: We'll hold you to that. All right, Andy, we'll, we'll talk to you next week.
0: All right, Bye.